on week two of a series that we are calling Wonderful Counselor out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so we're looking at the questions that Jesus asked. Jesus was asked about 183 questions. He answered like less than five of them, which is pretty amazing, right? The, the guy with all the answers never gave the answers, which is pretty incredible. But then he asked over 300 questions. And so this morning, I've got a book for you uh, if you want to grab it on the way out. But it's all 307 questions that Jesus asked in the New Testament. And so we ask questions, and we put them in different categories. So you can look at topics around what the questions were, if they were about love or questions about identity, questions about truth. And so take one of these. I think we got 200 made. They're free for you. Um, pretty incredible. If you've never gone through these questions, it's powerful. I would, I would say do it with a group if you can, um, because it's even more powerful if you can do it with somebody else. But uh, we've got all those for you. You can take them with you as you leave. And so our story this morning, our parable this morning, we're looking at just the seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And we're looking at the four that, that resulted in a miracle that started with a question. And so last week... We looked at the first, the first miracle that Jesus performed. Um, it was he turned water into wine, and it wasn't just a little bit of wine, y'all. It was a lot of wine. And, and, uh, and, and his mom, remember, she brings the problem to Jesus. They ran out of wine at this wedding, and, and Jesus' question was um, pretty raw. You know, Jesus asked hard questions. He looked at his mom and said, woman, what does that have to do with me? And so we looked at that. We looked at that. We looked at that question. And what does that mean for us? And, the, and you know, I'm finding that questions unlock doors. Questions, you know, when, when you ask somebody a question or someone asks you a question, now you're involved in the conversation. You know, Jesus had all the answers, right? He had all the answers. He could have answered every question, but he didn't. And, and so he, he, he asked questions or he didn't answer at all because I think he wanted co to connect the people to the process of what he was doing in their life. That this, this spiritual walk that we're all in, this journey, it's a, it's a two-way street. And, and we're walking with God. And so when, when we look at these miracles, even the one today, we're going to see that there was no miracles that happened, that, that there wasn't some kind of collaboration going on. That Jesus involved the person into the miracle. Just like with the, the, the water to wine, he had them fill up the, the pots of water. And, and, and so th there were people involved in the process of the, of the miracle that was taking place. And so our story today is in John chapter 5. And uh, this is, many of you may know this story, some of you may not. So I want to just read the seven or eight verses. But this is known as the Pool of Bethesda. This is the story where there was a, a man that had had a problem for 38 years. And he was at this pool waiting for something to happen, waiting to get better, waiting for his healing, and it never came. And so I want to read it to you, and then we'll unpack it. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool. Probably a smelly gate there, you know what I'm saying? A sheep, sheep gate. I'm like, man, can you put me at a different gate? Uh, but uh, anyways, he got the sheep gate. There was five of them which in, in, in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, so five porches, so to speak. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid. He had been stuck there for 38 years. 
Now, as we go into this, I want you to think just, just about problems that maybe you've had that you've had a long time. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> but maybe problems that you've been fighting for years, decades, things that just are not getting better. What do you do with the things in your life that don't get better? For this man, for this, in this context, in this generation, if we could go back to where this story and when it was written, this was kind of the last resort for people. When they had a person in their life that wasn't getting better or a problem in their life that wasn't getting better, they dropped them off at this pool. And so 38 years he's been sitting there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked a question. Do you want to get well? Think about that for a moment. That's a pretty offensive question to ask somebody, right? If they've been stuck in the same place for 38 years, especially if it's a stranger, y'all. He just snuck up in the crowd. This man had no idea who he was talking to. And he asked him a question. Could he have healed him? Yeah, absolutely. Could he have went straight to the rise up, uh, get your bed and walk? He sure could have. But he, he asked the question, do you want to get well? Now look at this response. Sir, the invalid replied, I, I don't got anybody to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. So I just learned this this week. Verse 4 is excluded in the newer international version. But verse 4 of this story tells you what's going on around this pool. And so they believe that every now and then an angel would come down and stir the waters of the pool. Whoever jumped in the pool first got healed. Didn't matter what was going on in their life. And so they all would hang around this pool just waiting on something to happen. And, and, and when, that, when that something would happen, whoever could get in first got their healing. Well, this guy has nobody to help him get into the pool. Jesus replies. He says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat. He began to walk. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, right? And so they threw that in there because later on the, the religious folks of the day got really upset about this guy carrying his mat around. Can you believe that? Okay, I mean, seriously, I just want to put that in there. The dude has been sitting for 38 years stuck in the same spot. He gets healed, and the religious leaders are mad because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Insane. But I want you to check this out for just a moment. So here we got Jesus walking up to this place that was not a very, I would say this is not a place you want to hang out. This is a place where you get dropped off and you're stuck and you really have no, nowhere else to go. You probably have no one else that can help you. It was a place, it was the place of last resort. When they had tried doctors and they had tried counseling and they had tried everything they know to try and nothing was getting better, they would take their, they would, you would end up at this pool because there was a chance that just maybe an angel would come down and we don't know how often and we don't know how many people got healed. You know, the New International Version took it out that the verse four because it was kind of a sub note in the original, in the original scrolls. But we know that there was something happening at this pool, and, and, and each porch represented a different infirmity. 
We know that. History tells us that each porch, like if you were blind, you had your own porch. If you were uh, maybe, you know, struggling mentally, you had your own porch. If you had, you know, so each, each porch represented something different that was going on in your life. But this was the thing. This was the kicker to me. Is that this was the place where people just basically went to give up. You know, there's a difference. You know, you go to an AA meeting, everybody's struggling with the same thing. And they share what they're struggling with, but they're sharing it because they want to get better. Because there's somebody there who's maybe already overcome what they're struggling with. This place was different. This place was, I mean, it, it was like, like you had a kind of a snowball's chance in Haiti, right, uh, of, of getting this miracle. And so this was more of a, this is where we go to just, I'm just going to give up. Now, I want you to see this. Jesus asked a question. To me, this question is really obvious, right? If I, if I was stuck in the same problem for 38 years, of course I would want to get better. But Jesus, when I'm finding when God asks obvious questions, there's something unobvious going on. In the garden, one of the first questions God asks, Adam and Eve, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where they were? When God asks an obvious question, there's something unobvious going on in our life. If you've ever sat with a counselor, I do. When they ask an obvious question, <laughs> right? What does a counselor do? They ask hard questions, they give perspective. They don't tell you how to live your life. When there's an obvious question asked, there's something unobvious going on. And so Jesus walks up and asks a completely obvious question to this man. Do you want to get better? But I want you to see what he, is, he responds with. Not a flat-out yes, not a of, of course, right? He gives an excuse. And this is what I'm finding in my life. Y'all, this is for Nathan Pooley, so you just take this out. I, I'm going to give you a few things. This is the way that it works for me. The longer a problem persists in my life and I can't get over it or I can't get past it, number one, the more discouraged I get. And when you've had a problem a long time, you don't want to hear the hype, you don't want to hear another encouraging word about it. Like, you don't want one more card, or you don't want anybody to send you scripture, right? You're like, you're, you're pretty upset, you're pretty stuck in it, and, and it's just been this way a long time. And the longer that we, we fight problems in our life that don't get better, the more discouraged that we get, the more drained that we get, right? The, the more sometimes bitter that we can get. Because, you know, 99 things in our life can be working, but a lot of times I just focus on the one that's not. And, and, and so when we have these big problems, and maybe you don't, but if you've had a problem for a long time, it's discouraging. It's draining. The second thing we see with this man's response, Jesus asked him, do you want to get better? It wasn't a straight yes. It was, I don't have anybody to help me. And I know Nathan Pooley, when he has a problem that he can't fix and he's had it for a long time, I begin to blame other people for, for what's going on in my life. And here's this guy, right? he's been there 38 years. The person, the, the miracle he's been waiting on is right in front of him. He doesn't know it. The person that can just speak into his life and fix everything wrong in his life is talking to him. And he's giving him an excuse He's blaming somebody else. And I'm finding in my life, nothing will ever get better if I blame other people for my problems. 
Now, did this guy do anything wrong? Probably not. Who knows? I don't think he did anything. We don't see that in the scripture. But I do know when things happen in our lives and we have problems, if it came through another person, it's still my responsibility to get better. And I'll never get past it if I'm blaming other people. Well, this is the way my dad was. He passed this down, and it's just, I got it honestly. I've heard that before. I've told myself that before, right? This is just the way I am, right? You don't get it. This is just the way I am. This is, this is who I am. This is just the way it's always going to be. You don't know what happened to me, Pastor. You don't know what happened to me. If you would have been in my circumstance, in my situation, you'd be blaming them too. It's real stuff. Everybody has a story like that. But the people that overcome their, their history, they don't live in it. <laughs> and, and, and when we blame other people for the, maybe a problem that we have in our life right now or a problem that's persisted and it's happened, it's years and years and years, we stay stuck in the past. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to lead you into the future here. I'm trying to get you to look up. I'm trying to get you to, to, to open your mind and maybe there's other possibilities of getting well. And if we're stuck blaming other people for our problems, it seems to be popular right now in the world. And so the longer a problem persists, the more that we blame people. And then the third thing that we see with this man, and I believe in my own life this happens, the longer a problem persists, the more that we learn to compensate. Right? We, we just start to live with it. We just figure it out. Now, there's some things that come into our life, I believe. Like, you know, Paul had this thorn in his flesh. And he said, I prayed. I prayed several times for God to take it. And he wouldn't take it. And there's, there's something with, you know, not, not, we can't, I think our lives are never going to be perfect, right? There's always going to be things that, that we're going to, there's, there's, we learn a lot through pain. We learn a lot through struggling. It's how we get better. It's, it's the way I think we grow. But then this story lets me know that there's some things in my life that maybe I've gotten comfortable with that God wants to do something about. And then we learn, I think we learn to compensate. This is the functioning alcoholic. This is the person that knows how to do it and they can hide it well. Been doing it a long time. This is the person that can, can, you know, can, can kind of make his way or her way through the world and have this big problem that maybe nobody knows about. And I think there was a lot of this happening at this pool. I think there was a lot of that going on. I know in my life I've, I've done that. I, I mean, you know, compensating for things that rather than just dealing with it, I'm just going to live with it. And so Jesus is just messing this guy all up, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he walks up, and he's comfortable, and he's been this way for 38 years, and he's probably planning on dying this way, and that's where he's going to be. And then Jesus comes and asks him a question and just turns everything upside down. And this is what I want you to catch. And because I, I, I could, could Jesus have went right to the physical with this guy and healed him? Absolutely, he could have. But I don't think this story has anything to do with physical healing at all. I think that was, it was what was going on on the inside of this man. For 38 years, somewhere, something happened to him, and he had been blaming other people his whole life. And I think Jesus knew this. And I think the first step in seeing the miracle that was on the outside is that Jesus had to turn some stuff up, up, upside down on the inside. And the question, when Jesus asked the question, again, when God asked an obvious question, 
there's something unobvious going on in our life. And here's this man that, that, that has been maybe just blaming others, compensating, just living with this problem when God is trying to bring freedom into his life. And so I, I think this, the biggest problem that this man had was not the condition that he was in. I think that this man had a limiting belief in his life. I want you to hear that. Limiting belief. See, we talk a lot about what do you believe? Tell me what you believe. And I'm finding that people can tell you what they believe, but they don't live what they believe. And I, and I think personally, belief drives behavior. And I don't need anybody to tell me what they believe about God. All I need is to spend a few days with them and how they treat other people and how they talk and, and you know, just the way that they interact with others and their perspective on life. I mean, you can believe all the right stuff, right? You can know it, but, but the biggest gap in the world is between knowing and doing. And this guy had a limiting belief in his life. He believed that what was keeping him back was the fact that he had nobody to help him. He believed that what was keeping him from living the, the life that he wanted to live was because he didn't have enough friends or he didn't have enough, right, didn't have enough resources, didn't have enough energy, didn't have enough time. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to get rid of all these excuses. <laughs> he, with one question. It's like, okay, I know you've got nobody to put you in the pool. I know you've been this way 38 years. I know that you've had some bad stuff happen to you. I see all of that. But again, let me ask you, do you want to get better? Because at the, at the very heart of what he's asking is the physical miracle. It's nothing's going to get better on the outside until you can get it on the inside. And somebody lied to this man. And he'd been believing that lie a long time. That the only way he was going to get better is if he gets in that pool when an angel comes down and stirs the water. He put himself into a corner. I've done that before. I think we do it at times, especially when we have problems that just don't get better. And so Jesus asked him this, this question, do you want to get better? And I, and I want you to just, just look at this. I want to unpack that question for a moment. Because the first thing that Jesus does is he challenges his unbelief. He challenges his unbelief by asking him that question. Are there things in my life that I'm not walking in because I don't believe God can do it for me? I can sit down and tell somebody how to overcome something, but I'm fighting it in my own life every day. You ever been there? I know how to do it. This man knew how to, he knew how to get better. He just had to get in the pool when it was stirred, but he couldn't do it. I can tell you how to overcome this. I can tell you how to get better with your anger. I can tell you how to overcome this addiction. I can tell you how to do it, but don't ask me to do it. <laughs> and this limiting belief, again, he knew all the, the how, but he didn't really have the why. It hadn't internalized in him yet. He just believed that there was no hope for him. He just believed that this is the way it's always going to be. And then every day he's watching people, right? Every year he's watching people get healed from the thing that he's stuck in. And so the first thing I think when it comes to walking in, in this, this, what Jesus is doing for this man, and I believe he does it for all of us as we journey with him, and God asks us questions and God begins to deal with things in our life, is he challenges the convictions of our old beliefs. That's the first step. And getting better, I believe. You've got to challenge the convictions of your old beliefs. 
Jesus said it like this. You have, you have heard it said, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Old Testament principle. Or is it not tooth for a tooth? It is eye for an eye. It's like if somebody hits you, you hit them back. That, that was basically, that was the Old Testament principle. Somebody kicks you, you get ready. You know what I'm saying? Like get a running start and kick them back. But he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Over and over we see this in the New Testament. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And one of the things with faith, I think the greatest thing when it comes to faith is not learning, it's unlearning. How much stuff in my life am I walking with that's just not right that I believe about God because of something that happened to me 30, 20, 10 years ago? How much stuff am I walking around with that, that maybe is, is, is not truth? How much, I want you to become an assassin of unbelief. Everything in your life that tries to get you to say that God isn't good, that God isn't faithful, that God's going to let you down, that, that God doesn't love. I mean, that's, the, that's the, the lies of the enemy. The first question asked in the Bible was not God, it was a serpent. And it was, did God really say that? And the serpent's still talking, right? Thousands of years, you know, it's not a physical serpent sliding up in your house. I'd cut its head off, y'all. Come on, somebody. Only good snake's a dead snake, all right? I don't like snakes. But he gets us to question the truth of God's word. He, he tries to get us to believe things that just aren't true about ourselves, about God. And here's this guy that's been stuck for 38 years, and he believes he can't get better because he's got nobody to help him. Who told him that? First sermon I ever preached. It was very short. <laughs> it was, we called them devos. I was in the intern program and devotions, and I had, I had a devotion that morning. It was my first one, and I wrote it all down because I couldn't talk without reading it off a sheet of paper. And I wrote it, read it, and... Um, a pastor came up to me and put his arm around me and said, son, if you can do anything else, you should do it. <laughs> Go ahead, laugh it up. But I believed him. It was one message. It was my first one. Nobody's good at anything the first time, right? You know, it takes, you know, you got to get in the groove a little bit. You got to, but it was terrible. And I know it was terrible, but what he said, I, I, I just, it was, a, it created a limiting belief in my life. And it made me believe that I did need to do everything else but this. Because I wasn't very good at it. I sucked at it. Bad. It was horrible. Like, I was terrible at it at first. I mean, I, I'm serious. My, you know, like, my first message on a Sunday morning was 11 minutes and 53 seconds. All right? It was the best 11 minutes and 53 seconds of that church's life. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I go back and listen to it, and I'm like, those kind, just sweet folks. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I learned really in a nursing home. I mean, that was where I really got, you know, the experience because it was the only place for people to listen to me. And there, you know, there was a nursing home in Milton I went to every week. And there was a lady that she'd come back there and, and uh, I would get in front of the TV and I would speak in this like common area. And she would get, if I would go long, she would walk behind me and she'd put her finger on the power button of the TV. Basically telling me, you need to hush up, preacher. We got, you know, we got cops is coming on it too. <laughs> so we need you to move on. But anyways, a limiting belief. 
Am I walking with wounds from stuff that people said to me a long time ago? And I'm believing it? And so we got to challenge those old beliefs. we got to challenge those, those old convictions. I think that's what J Jesus is doing here. He's saying, all right, I know you've given up. I know you've been here for 38 years. I know you got a great excuse, a list of excuses. But do you really want to get better? Do you really want to get better? Because if you can, there's a way. And I think a lot of people, they, I, just, I, wanna, I wanna just say this, quit writing the story of failure over your life. Quit writing, quit, quit telling yourself you're not enough. Quit telling yourself you can't do it. Quit, quit giving and meditating and focusing on all the reasons why you can't do what you believe God's asked you to do or you can't do what you believe God has called you to do. And I think we do that to our own selves and people help. Sometimes the wrong people will help with that. But so many people just write this story of failure over the life. Well, I, I, I didn't go to school. I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to college. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough network. I mean, I know that this God, God has put this dream in my life, but I'm going to give you a list of excuses why I can't keep going towards it. Challenge that. I, want, I hope that when you come here that those things are challenged in your life. Because God's in the business of taking nobodies and making them somebody. Come on, right? God is in the business of taking dropouts and turning them around and making them knockouts, right? You know, you know, you know, God is able to do things that are above all of our capacities. God can take a little young man that's, 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 that's just taking care of sheep in the, you know, in the middle of nowhere and make him king in just a few months. And when God uses somebody, I think it's like lightning. It doesn't matter which tree it is. It doesn't matter what's going on in that tree. When God just hits somebody with his power, he's not going to ask you what your qualifications are. He's not going to ask you where you went to school. Jesus didn't do that with this man. He didn't come up and get his pedigree, didn't ask him his history. He just said, do you want to get better? And I'm willing to say there's probably an area in all of our lives in here where we could answer yes to that. And we've said no for the last 10 years. There's an area my, I, I want to get better. Challenge those old beliefs. The second thing Jesus did was he, 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 he opened up his resources. This man had put himself in a corner and he thought the only way I'm going to get better is this pool and some angel and this stir in the water and I got to get somebody to hit. Like, like he had this whole plan and system that was a system of failure. He was trusting in a broken system. And so the second thing that, that Jesus does is, is I think that we have to internalize is we got to be willing to get help from outside of ourself and settings. And just maybe the miracle was not that he was healed. Maybe the miracle was getting him out of Bethesda. Because <laughs> that's the first thing he did. Is he got, up his, he got up, he took his bed, and he got out of there. Maybe the real miracle was getting out of this system of dysfunction that he'd been in for 38 years. With other people that were just like him that were not getting any better. And so, again, it's, it's a different setting than people sharing their problems with one another with the goal in mind of getting better. This was people sharing their problems with one another with the goal of just dying. It was the end of the road. And Jesus came up and asked his question and basically lit a fire under this man. He said, you need to get out of here. <laughs> Bethesda, I think it's interesting. That, that word Bethesda means flowing water. 
And this was a pool. And I think the principle there is, 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 are we irrigating our life with new relationships? Are you irrigating your life with new ideas? Or are you just hanging around the same 50 people the last 30 years? Because sometimes a miracle may come in a package that you don't recognize from a person that you don't know in a place that you've never been. And are you willing to do that? Are, are you willing to open up yourself to help from outside of yourself, right? Are you willing to open up to, to help that doesn't come in the, maybe the more traditional way that you thought that it was going to come? This guy had been betting on a horse that has lost 38 years in a row. <laughs> Bet on another horse, right? You know, like, like, let's try something new. Let's maybe, you know, I think, and again, I'm, I'm big on counseling. I think it's a part of discipleship. If you got a problem in your life that's not getting better, maybe that's your next step. Maybe you tell, you know, maybe it's just telling somebody. Maybe it's opening yourself up to receiving help from a person that maybe you wouldn't normally do that. Jesus walks up, the miracle's right in front of this man, and just says, Hey, do you want to get well? And nobody had really been getting better in this place. And I think sometimes it is, it's just a change of pace, change of place. It's being willing to open up yourself and, 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 and you know, step outside of your comfort zone. Because a lot of times that's, that's right where God's going to meet you, right? Faith is, a, is, a, is sometimes it's a blind step. We don't always see that stone, but it appears, you know, we don't, we don't always know what's going to happen. But when we feel God leading us, when we know that you know, when we feel the, the Holy Spirit singing, you, you need to do this, you need to try this, maybe, maybe you need to, you know, we want, we want to listen to that. Jesus is challenging this man. He's challenging his belief system. He's coming after unbelief in his life. And then this is the last thing, and, and I think it's a lot happens in this story. It's kind of the miracle before the miracle. We know that Jesus speaks to this man, and, and, and this is where I want you to see this. His miracle came from a borrowed belief. He didn't believe he could get better. But when Jesus came and walked into his life and asked him that question, do you really want to get well? There was a connection that happens. And then Jesus says, rise, get off your bed and walk. Whose faith healed this man? Was it his faith? And I think there's something really powerful, I want you to catch this, about having mentors in our life. I think there's something really powerful about having people in our life that can speak to us, hard truth, that can ask us hard questions. Why is that important? Because your miracle may come from a borrowed belief. Because they may see something in you that you don't see. Because I told you that story about the pastor that told me to find something else to do, right? And you know, that's the one that I tend to remember. But then I've got hundreds of other stories. Hundreds where somebody spoke something into my life and I borrowed their faith for my life. I didn't even see it in myself. I couldn't look in the mirror and see it, but other people did. And we can, we, we, I mean, I think this is the beauty of the body of Christ. This is why we come together. This is why I, I always talk about groups and small groups. And if you're not in one here, get in one at another church. 
go to somewhere else, but just being in conversation with other people. I think that's what made last year so difficult. We are created to look people in the eye and talk <laughs> and have community and have elders, fathers of the faith, have, have, have peop, mentors and coaches, right? People that are doing great things, you're going to find there's a common denominator. They have somebody in their life that's coaching them and challenging them, that's watching their life, that's studying them, that's asking them the hard questions. I think it's the same way in this faith journey. We need people in our life. And sometimes that, that help, that encouragement, may, may not come from the person you thought it would come from may come from somewhere else. But here's the last thing. This guy, I'm proud of this man. A lot of times this, this man gets kind of beat up a little bit, right? He, like, like, but, but this was a brave man. I want you to catch this because before the miracle came, before the healing came, he was honest with somebody. It's shocking to me how, how many people have never been able to be brutally honest with anyone in their life. They feel like they got to fake it till they make it. Or act like everything's okay on the outside. I got an, an appearance to uphold. This guy didn't do that. He said, no, I've, been, I, I've been, been like this for 38 years and I got nobody to help me. That's powerful. He could have lied. He could have just said no. No, Jesus, I don't want to get better. I'm, I'm, I like it here. This is comfortable. I've got my sheep over here. You know, like, I, you know, I, I'm just hanging out. I, got, I mean, like, you know, a place that was supposed to be temporary. He's building a house there, but, but he doesn't do that. He's honest with Jesus. He opens his heart up to him. He tells him the pain that he's went through, the suffering that he's went through. And I think when it comes to growing in our faith and when it comes to walking in this journey, you can have a lot of beliefs and you can know a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology, but you got to be willing to take the first step. Like you got to be willing to act on what you know. This guy knew something, right? This, this pool was stirred and if he could get in the pool, he, he, he would get down there. He was willing to act on what he knew. Jesus brought this brand new idea into his life and said, just get up and walk. But he had to take up his mat. <laughs> Like he had to be involved. He had to be audacious and crazy, whatever you want to call it enough, to try. I think we all have a next step in our life, every person. We don't graduate. If you're still alive, God's got something for you to do. If you've got a heartbeat and you're, I mean, there's something next for you to do. There's a reason why you're here. And a lot of times it's not new truth we need. We just need to act on what God said to us maybe last week or last year. <laughs> it, it's taking that step, that next step on the truth that we have been, that's been spoken into our life. Jesus came up and opened all these doors for this man. But he had to be willing to take the first step. And this is the last thing I'm going to do. And we're going to pray together. This man didn't know how his healing was going to come. Like, like he didn't know anything about what was going to happen after. And I think sometimes when, when, when God is leading us to do something, it seems so crazy that like, like we're thinking about step 196, right? <laughs> like if, you're, if you get in your mind a lot, 
like you're thinking, okay, I, I know, I feel like God's leading me to do this. I feel like this is what I need to do. But step 170 is not possible yet. And, and so I think we just need to suspend the requirement of knowing how to do something and just trust God when he says, go. Because he may not explain it. And something may happen in your life that you cannot explain. But it's being willing to leave your familiar, to leave your comfort zone, to step out and sell a business when you know that, man, I could keep this business, but God's calling me to do this. To leave a good job for a job that you believe God has called you to take. I, I don't know. But I, I'm seeing a common denominator in all these miracles and I'm seeing a common denominator in the people's lives that I respect the most is that they are willing to step out of their comfort zone when they feel like they hear the voice of God, they're gonna obey. And this man had a critical moment in his life. He could have let Jesus pass on by, but he didn't. He took a step. And that step turned into him picking up his bed that step turned into his healing and opened up a brand new life to him. And I don't think the miracle was about the physical healing because Jesus seen him in the temple a few verses later in John 5. And he says, hey man, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. I mean, that's, that's hard, right? Because I think the real problem was here. I don't, I, I, I think, it, I don't think it, this is about a physical miracle. I think that this is Jesus trying to liberate this man internally and these beliefs that he had that he'd been walking around with for a long time. Chains. So this is what I want us to do. Just, just close your eyes. It's, we're going to go to God and ask him, Lord, is there anything in my life And I'm believing about myself or other people or you that's just not true. Is there a limiting belief in my life that I'm acting on? Is there a limiting belief in my life that's, that's keeping me from walking into all that you have for me? So I want you to just pray that David prayed this prayer. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Wonderful counselor, we come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us. God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. What are you saying to me right now in this moment? Because we want to get better. We want to be healed. We want to walk in everything that you have for us. We don't want to get to the end of this life and see all that could have happened or should have happened. But no, Lord, we want to obey your voice. Do you want to get better? Okay, Lord, I do. So what do I do next? Father, we just thank you so much. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.